Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 4th, 2020. You're listening to the Still Growing Podcast. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. How how are we still going? I turn 50 next week. That's it. Show's over. <laughs> Done. I made an announcement. I turn 50 exactly a week from today. That's it. No more shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've been threatening turning 50 since you were 25. So. <laughs> oh, that was mentally. But listen, uh, O'Malley wraps up next week with another. Uh, there it is. It's perfect timing. <laughs> Part two lands on my 50th birthday. That's it. Good night, everybody. Willie or Loney, that'll be the, uh, the thing hanging over the Any Up Nation. We'll leave you back on September 17th. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Alright, well, the good thing is, is we still have news coming in. So. <laughs> Jeez. This might be the most news we've had on a show ever, I think. So I think I'll uh I'll judge whether or not some of this is news or not, but <laughs> No, I'm just kidding, it's news. Alright, go ahead. Alright, so uh Mark Collins is the champion of the first major poker series to be held in the United States since COVID, winning the Mid States Poker Tour series at Riverside Casino in Iowa. The $1,100 buy-in event had a $150,000 guarantee, but it attracted 518 entries. The casino removed the plexiglass dividers on table so games could be 10-handed, but masks were still required. Uh, this is this is good news. I, I don't see this as anything but good news. I know that you know we're we're very cautious and, and careful with our company and with our our health uh, when it comes to this, but you know. This is an event that had a ton of entries. They even took the dividers down because you and I even said that was window dressing anyway. Um, they did what they were supposed to do with the masks. They had a bunch of people. It was very successful. I'm very happy for them. And this can only mean that others are going to look at that and say, hey, if they can do it in Iowa, we should be able to do it here. And I think that's going to help open up a lot. And uh, that'll probably bring us a lot closer to... Uh, launching our magazine again and, and getting our tour back on, on, on his feet. So I'm happy about this. Yeah, no, it's certainly it's a, it's a whopping number of entries. I mean, if you want to be pessimistic about it, you can say, hey, no one's had a tournament, <laughs> major tournament series since March. So a little bit of pent-up demand, right? Yeah, well, they're uh, showing that they still want to play. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, but Brian's just done an amazing job building Mid States Poker Tour. It's such a loyal following there that I, I wasn't shocked at all at this right. number. Right. Um, so uh, so yeah, good to see. Um, obviously, you know, uh, we'll have to wait and see for another couple of weeks and see um, if any COVID cases come out of this. I hope not. But uh, you know, Iowa is a, a flashpoint right now for. Those cases, so yeah. that I think that's probably what other operators will be looking at is not just whether people showed up, which um, is not terribly surprising, I don't think, but 
whether they were able to do it safely and uh, there's no um, residual health problems afterwards. But, but yeah, I'm with you uh, right now from, uh, from where we're sitting. Uh, this is a, a very good development. So uh, the Venetian in Vegas is getting ready to launch their series or might have even started it. So we'll see how that one goes as well, too. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, after if that one's a success, too, which I imagine it will be, then I think we'll start seeing more pop up. So Yeah, yeah. very good news. All right. Uh, unfortunately, not good news. Uh, former World Poker Tour commentator Mike Sexton is under home hospice care after his prostate cancer is spread to other organs, according to social media posts from his friends. Yeah, I uh, was reading some of the posts from people and stuff, and... Uh, you know, I just recently went through this with my mom. They, um, the hospice came to the house, talked to my parents, and there was two forms of hospice care. There was palliative care, where they just sort of make your life easier while you're dealing with something, and then there's end of life care, where they make you comfortable as you're about to die. So, uh, because it spread to all of his, his other organs or a lot of his other organs and stuff, I don't think this is going to be palliative care. So. This is really sad. I'm, I'm sure it's only a matter of time now. Um, yeah, too bad. Yeah, yeah. You always hope for the best here, and hope that there's there's a as one of our friends posted a one outer that he hits here to get out of this. But um, definitely, is very sad. And um, you know, we we talked. Uh, well, we we've always talked about how how often we've met poker celebrities and been disappointed, right? Um, and then we talked a couple weeks ago about. A couple of them that we like uh, that have lived up to it, and Norman Chad was one of them that we talked about last week. Uh, Mike Sexton's another one that's lived up to it in the several times that I've interacted with him. Um, uh, you know, he did a great um, uh, little seminar at Thunder Valley when he had his uh, book come out a couple years ago. I remember that, and just being able to you know have a glass of wine and talk to him was phenomenal. And then. Um, He's been at the uh, Deep Stack uh, Cherry Tournament as well, too. And, um, and even last year, he played at my table in the horse event for a while, um, which is great because he got to talk about Ohio State um, and stuff like that. So uh, he, he was just always been a genuine, genuine guy. So, um, um, you know, in a world of folks that are not what they appear on TV, he was one of the good guys. And, uh, you know, again, hopefully he can pull out of this, but it does not look good. He was the ambassador of poker for the longest time. I mean, you know, he was just, uh, he was everywhere when uh, poker was in his boom. And, um, you know, it's sad. And you know what thing, too? It's, it's just it's just so scary that, you know, he was in incredible shape. You know what I mean? He was a, oh, yeah, he was gymnast, a gymnast, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's just that it doesn't matter. It, 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 anything can come for you, and uh, it's too bad. But the yeah, he, answer he, does not discriminate. That's for sure. Yeah, oh. he, he will be missed. And, I, and I'm. He, this isn't one of those things you hit a one out or on when when hostage is coming to your house. You no, know, I don't. Not fighting don't, it anymore. So, but you know. No, I know. I'm just saying when somebody says that, it's kind of like yeah, it's it's false hope. Um, but you know, very sad. He was he was he was he was beloved by a lot of people in the industry. All right, uh, Svetlana Silva, a Las Vegas casino employee, faces burglary charges after allegedly stealing more than $1 million worth of cash, casino chips, and designer watches from the home of Antonio Esfandari and his father, Bion. Uh, the woman had lived on again, off again uh, with the John, and he says she may have gained access to the safes in the house because uh, they had similar passcodes to the one she used for the door. Silva allegedly lost most of the money and chips in poker games. Jeez. 
So <laughs> I mean, she, where do you even start with? I know. And she so she stole all that and then lost it all anyway. So now what do you do now? Well, didn't lose it all when when they arrested her. She had twenty five thousand and chips on her. Which, oh, you know, geez, that, yeah. I mean, who doesn't just walk around Vegas with twenty five thousand and focus? <laughs> it's on. a prerequisite, I think, before they yeah. let you off the plane and uh, McCarran. They gotta particularly if you're a part time poker dealer. Of course, you've got twenty five thousand uh, chips. But um, yeah, so you know, when I, I first saw this, and then I didn't read the article when I first saw it on Facebook because uh, I knew I'd, I'd eventually get around to it when I was prepping for the show. Uh, so you know, you, you, lots of things that come to mind. I'm like, one, I, I just you know. I'm hoping at some point in my life, I have a million dollars worth of anything in my house. <laughs> I mean, somebody could come and literally pick my entire house up with all of our cars and drive it away, and it still wouldn't be a million dollars. I know. <laughs> it's insane. So the fact that he had a million dollars of cash because he had chips and designer watches and a, and a couple safes is just mind-boggling on one level for me. So there's that. Um, and then two, obviously, some sort of relationship with uh, Antonio's father here. Um, and then uh, you know, some of the comments I had on uh, uh, on my page about this were: um, this is a good reminder why you don't have the same password for everything. Yeah. <laughs> like it's amazing. Hey, why don't you come live with me for a little bit? Yeah, here's the passcode to the door. Come and go as you want. And then, oh yeah, by the way, everything we own here is uh, a similar passcode. Yeah, same, pretty much the same code <laughs> on all the safes. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of scary. You know, you don't you don't think about it like that. But you know, the other thing is too is the minute somebody who used to live with you doesn't live with you anymore, you change the codes. You know how similar it is. You still change the codes. I mean, that's that's what you do. You change everything. That's why they, they change the keys to the, the front door when they give the key to the, the woman to come live with you or whatever. You change the key when you throw them out because you need the locks. I mean, because you don't want them to, you know, uh, unbelievable. And they'll never see that money again. And she lost it all. She's going to jail. Uh, yeah. And so it was interesting. And in the article I read, um, uh, so she, she lost some of these chips in a game and then, then went on a winning streak because that's what you do when you um, steal money. You lose it and then you win a little bit right <laughs> and wanted to buy the specific chip back from the guy that she lost to and he wouldn't and then she came up with this thing about how they were specially marked and only she could cash them in so I mean wow there's a lot of stories going on at the wow. over day. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not suspicious at all not at all and it only took me three hours to get that story read because I read it on the Daily Mail and there's 47 ads all over the place oh so. yeah yeah. don't get your news from there sorry folks <laughs> all our British friends uh, all right, so poker players Julie Cornelius and Darren Dobler have signed up to run this year's Marathon de Sabla. <laughs> Good luck with these words today. <laughs> hey, uh, it's a 156-mile, six-day ultra-marathon through the Sahara Desert. I don't like any of those things. Um, they are running the race to benefit the St. Baldrick's Foundation, which funds childhood cancer research, and they're encouraging poker players to do their own 156-mile race virtually with 50% of the uh, virtual entry fee benefiting uh, the foundation, WPT champion Tyler Patterson, another one of the good guys out there, by the way, uh, and other pros have already signed on. You know, uh, at first I thought this was going to have the marathon run through the new poker room at the Sahara. <laughs> I thought that's why it was on here. And I'm like, okay, what's the re why are we reading? And I'm like, oh, they're poker players running this marathon raising money. Oh, okay. Because I was like, oh, man, that'd be kind of cool having the whole marathon run through your poker room. You know, <laughs> talk about foot traffic. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought it was. And then I read it. And I was like, oh, 
that's kind of a letdown. I don't know what would be harder, running 156 miles through the Sahara Desert or 156 miles just around uh, the 10 poker tables of the Sahara. <laughs> well, I, I thought I would run through it, not not like that would be the whole course. You know, I thought they had, it was like going to be like a PR thing, or they're like, hey, watch the marathon run through the poker room as you're check-raising the guy in C3. You know, I, I didn't know. I mean, I'm half kidding, but it's. Uh, I, mean, I had a friend that uh, just ran uh, an ultra marathon, um, but he did it in his backyard. Uh, so we did. I don't know how many laps it was in the backyard, but one of the things he said is, "I, I did not anticipate how boring <laughs> running in a circle would be yeah. for that long." So, uh, but uh, but uh, so anyhow, uh, one I've never heard of the, this marathon, so I'm intrigued by that. Um, it's not uh, not surprising to me that there are poker players out there willing to do something crazy like this because that's what poker players do, right? Yeah. Um, I, I want to read more about it. I need to go back and read more about it to understand because it it's six days, so you run. I mean, I guess you divide 156 by six, so I don't know. I mean, it's a marathon every day, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. it's basically um, in the desert. Yeah. I kind of feel like uh, Clark Griswold trying to get to the gas station and in vacation there. So, um, was I supposed uh, to laugh at that? I'm sorry. Was I? Was it, should I hit? We, you know, we should have the laugh track here. That it, it, it was a funny reference. Yeah. Oh, so okay. Yeah, she just pushed the that. button and hit the laugh track button. Here. <laughs> you probably didn't hear it because your your microphone cord is your cord is still hitting the microphone. <laughs> Even after you said you fixed it. Um, <laughs> uh, but no. So I mean, again, it, it's for charity, which is great. Uh, you know, I was trying to figure out how they're doing it for charity. I didn't know if there's prize money, but then then I realized that they were asking people to you know pay fifty bucks to I think it's fifty bucks to. Um, uh, actually, I just I I realized I just poorly typed this. It was actually 100 percent of the 50 dollar virtual fee. Uh, Sorry, folks, I made a mistake there. But anyhow, uh, so that's uh, that's how they're raising money is they're getting folks to send them 50 bucks and theoretically go out and run their own 156 mile marathon. Yeah, like when I was a kid, we used to raise money for muscular dystrophy through my bowling league. You would go around the neighborhood and get somebody to pledge an amount for every pin I knocked down. You know, so if I got them to do a penny and I knocked down 500 over three games, they'd do five bucks. And, you know, that's that's how you... So maybe here it's like, hey, for every mile you complete, or I don't know, you could do stuff like that too. You know, there's a way to do it, but this pays, apparently this way it's just the entry fee that they're donating. Well, yeah, and, uh, and I love what they're doing. Uh, I will not be participating. I don't think I could drive 156 miles in six days. No. No. Alone, run it. Did, um, did you know? Uh, I don't think you knew him, but did you know John Wilson at the time? <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. remember John Wilson? He yeah. was my first boss. He hired me, and uh, I got to know him a little bit. And then uh, one day, he comes out with, "Yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be around next week." And I'm like, "Really? Where are you going?" He said, "I got this uh, ultra marathon to run." And I'm like, "What?" And so he used to do these like 50 mile ones. Yeah. Um. But that was all at once, rather than twenty six twice. You know, what I mean, he would do like one, and I was like, "Wow, that's incredible." I said, "How do you run for that long?" And, you know, he says, "Well, you know, you just you go to the bathroom while you're running," and I'm like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Yep, that's right. We just we just go. Just let it go." I'm like, "No way." He's like, "Yep, if you're competitive, that's what you got to do to survive." And I'm like, "No way." But he was explaining to me all this stuff, and it was just it's crazy what they go through to train and to do all this stuff, and so. You know, hats off to them. It's it's not easy. No, no. You know, I mean, not just not just a part of covering them the distance, but just 
and the training and all that, but just it's the stuff they have to commit to. And oh wow, it's crazy. So yeah, the uh, the human toll it takes on this. I mean, my brothers run marathons all the time. I never did, uh, even though I was a runner. Um, but just the things you hear, like you know, your nipples get chapped and you have to put yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And then you know you're you need to have good socks and shoes and stuff, and that's just for one one marathon, which takes most people four hours, right? Yeah, so yeah. do it six days in a row in the desert. So I don't know. crazy in the desert yeah. too, unbelievable. I was gonna make another obscure movie reference there, but since you <laughs> well, down the first one, that's I haven't installed the laugh track yet. Wait till next week on our last show. Spaceballs today, so I'll just <laughs> move on to the next. Uh, I'll have the laugh track just in time for our last show next week. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, the fascinating story of High Roller Online Poker Brother Z and Hak Dang is told in a new article by Washingtonian writer Jessica Sidman. The pair discovered online poker while they were mechanical engineering students at the University of Virginia. Both eventually made a top 10 list of most money won online, a total of $14 million between the two of them. A lot of it apparently at the hands of Cirque du Soleil founder Guy Laberte. Can't believe you still don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. He's only the most popular person in amateur and poker history. In my defense, I don't know how to pronounce anybody's name. So <laughs> at least you knew. At least you knew it was Guy. You didn't call him Guy. <laughs> <laughs> After Black Friday, uh, the brothers decided to get in the restaurant business, and now own a slew of them in the Washington metro area, and are using the skills they learned in poker to navigate the ups and downs of their new industry, especially during COVID. Man, I'm talking about rags to riches. Uh, it, it really was a fascinating story. I encourage everybody to go read it. I, mean, I, haven't, I honestly haven't heard these guys. Again, I, I don't really pay attention to the nosebleed online stakes, so, but apparently they're legendary um, in that. Um, but the, the story was fascinating about how they you know, they just picked up the game and they learned to play it, and then they wanted to drop out, and, of course, Dad didn't like that, and then eventually they bought Dad a 7,500-square-foot mansion with <laughs> <laughs> cars, and Dad came around. And then, uh, but then talking about how you know, in Macau, just you know, taking an elevator up to this private game with uh, five hundred thousand dollars in your backpack <laughs> when you're wearing t-shirts and shorts, yeah. And then losing it all, they lost the the one brother lost a million in that game. Um, so that's 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 what they're said of how difficult the restaurant business is. That you know, hey, I've lost a million dollars in a in a night, <laughs> so I can get through unplugging, uh, unclogging toilets. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but my favorite line in it was you know he had an employee that, that threw their it's a Cajun Cajun Vietnamese fusion restaurant and uh, one of their employees threw all the shrimp uh, guts in the wrong dumpster oh. so to make sure that the landlord didn't get mad at them they went out and actually got in the dumpster and transferred them all to the right dumpster. Oh. And, and the guy said, you know, hey, man, I, I used to win and lose a million dollars in a night, and now I'm in a dumpster fishing <laughs> trip guts out. So so some uh, level of uh, humility even for folks that uh, for most of their lives have, um, have lived in the fast lane. So. What's funny is that your description of says they use their skills they learned in poker to navigate the ups and downs <laughs> of their new industry. And I'm thinking, what skill did they learn at the table? That taught them to crawl into a dumpster to not tick off the landlord. Uh, well, the the ultimate skill was uh, not uh, not having any fear, knowing that you know there are ups and downs and you got to get through it. So, uh, trust me, I, I've I've learned uh, I've made a lot of friends in the restaurant business in the last couple of years. It uh, it's tough. I yeah. I have no desire to no. own a restaurant. So, no. um, but uh, but you you have to have the right kind of mentality, I think, to succeed in it. So. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a brutal life. When I was putting myself through college, that's what I worked. I worked at hospitality, and it, it's a brutal life. And just owning and having it all on your shoulders can only be exponentially worse. It's not fun. It does help, though, when you have $14 million behind you. Yeah. So. <laughs> all right, here's this week's update on casino and poker room reopenings and reclosings. In Florida, the mayor of Miami-Dade County has rescinded his order closing casinos. So poker rooms at Hylia Park and Casino Miami Highlight have reopened. Magic City has not yet announced a reopening date. Okay. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom has issued updated guidance on when businesses, including card clubs, can reopen based on how severe COVID remains in individual counties. And, of course, antigetmagazine.com slash reopen. List verified details on casino and poker room reopenings and closings. If you have any updates, email us at editor at antigetmagazine.com. And we are also emailing a weekly e-blast with updates that you can subscribe to on the homepage at antiupmagazine.com. So tell me what this, this means in California. I'm sure you've dived into this a little bit more. It, it, are we looking at now it's up to them to decide whether or not they want to reopen their room? No, it depends on what county they're in. There are four different uh, color codes um, uh, from the least severe to the most severe, but they were very clear there was not a green color code because there's not a back to normal anywhere in California right now, right. according to the governor. So, so if you are in the least restrictive, you have a little bit more leeway to open. Um, uh, so far, I haven't. Uh, I mean, most of the state is in the purple category, which is the most severe. So, I don't think we're going to see much change right now. In fact, actually, most of the um, uh, readings I've read, uh, not necessarily about casinos, but about bars and restaurants in California. Um, pretty livid about this, that it's another kind of smoke and mirrors, kind of really hard to navigate situation when they're just trying to get open and, and back into business. So I suspect that's going to be the, the case with card clubs in general. I, I'd be um, I, more likely to see more folks throw those tents up on the outside <laughs> and try to get by with that right now. Yeah, so. Yeah. But I don't know. So anyhow, uh, but but the, uh, the the lesson is to uh, definitely call your favorite card club and find out if they are planning to operate um, as the color in your county changes out there. Okay. Any updates? Papes, the Antiup fans' free online tournament series on PokerStars Play Money site is available everywhere. Details on how you can join can be found at bit.ly slash papes, P-A-I-P-S. Games are on the 6th, 16th, and 26th every month and rotate disciplines with a main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours. Join the Annie Up Fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. You can check out our 11 vintage Annie Up logo designs on merchandise at annieupmagazine.com shop. Buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of Annie at Magazine, Annie at Poker Cast, or Annie at Poker Tour logos. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast at annieatmagazine.com, or post in the Annie at Fans group on Facebook. We have ourselves a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing $2, $5, no limit hold'em at our regular casino cash game. The action has been pretty crazy and wild, with one maniac in particular that has gone on quite the tear. He bought in for $300 and currently sits with around $2,500. 
We've had a solid night ourselves as we sit with 1,300, up 800. The blinds post, the maniac straddles from under the gun for $10, an MP calls, and it's to us on the button with the eight of spades, seven of spades. I don't mind playing a hand like this in a straddled pot in position. There's a chance, a good one, that the under the gun will raise, but I don't think I mind that at all either. We call. The small blind and big blind both call, and the under the gun makes it $75 to go. The MP folds, and it's to us. I really don't mind this situation. We have a hand that plays pretty well post-flop against a maniac that could have any two cards here. Plus, we've got position. I don't think limp re-raising is a smart play, but I think a call is definitely in order. The blinds fold, and with around 170 in the pot, the flop is the 9 of hearts, 6 of hearts, 5 of hearts. This is an interesting flop for our hand. It's very coordinated, but we did flop the nut straight. Our opponent leads out for 100. I think raising here is a bad idea. If he has any piece of this, he's most likely going to re-raise and possibly shove. I'd rather not get it all in on the flop with a maniac. We elect to call. There's 370 now in the pot, and the turn is the ace of spades. Our opponent leads out for 200. This card doesn't really change our situation. If we were ahead on the flop, we're still ahead. I think raising is fine here, but I also think calling is an interesting option. As long as there's no heart on the river, we can be fairly confident that we have the best hand. Plus, we can keep his bluffs in. We call. The pot is 770, and the river is the ace of diamonds. Our opponent shoves with little hesitation. So, we have to call off our remaining 925 to see if we're good here. This is an overbet of the pot, and we're only getting 1.8 to 1 on a call. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands for situations podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership. Vincent Ferrigno is back this week, Chris. Nice. And uh, his hand, he says, is a blast from the past since he can't play at the World Series of Poker this year. Uh, this is all the way back in 2010. Jeez. I don't even remember all the details. We were little babies in the business back then, Chris. Yes, but we were in business. <laughs> Unlike now. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Vincent said, I want a seat in a yearly points league for a $1,500 World Series of Poker event. Uh, and it was his first ever one out there, or any, his first event over $300. So big deal for him, right? All right. Gets to the table early, and we start four-handed with two additional dead stacks in play. He said that this hand comes at the 5100 level. Um, a Swedish pro with 13,000 with a loose aggressive uh, image. Value bet, value bets thin raises to 275 in mid position, and we are on the button with the with Ace Queen offsuit. Okay, so we have Ace Queen off. Uh, okay, well we're four-handed, so this is a pretty big hand. I guess it depends on how capable you are as a player and how comfortable you are with your surroundings in this case. I mean, this is shorthanded. To me, if you're playing four-handed and you use the theory of poker or all these other guys' rules of poker of, you know, as you move down the table, you have to think of it as... If it's four-handed, there's a small blind, a big blind, there's a button, and then you're basically the cutoff, right? So if somebody raises and we're 
because it's hard to call him middle position, right? I mean, it's four-handed, right? So I don't know even know how he, this guy who raises in middle position, but yeah, that's a good point, yeah, right. Sure. But so I mean, are we in a blind, Scott, or are we the button? I forgot what you said. We're the button. We're the button. Yeah, so we're the button. So I mean, imagine if you had no one's going to give you credit for ace queen. You know, what I mean, they're going to think you, you know, whatever. It's so short-handed. This is a legitimate early position raise at a full table hand. So, um, I have no problem re-raising here. Uh, if if I, especially if this person seems to be thin on a lot of their raises lately. The other thing too, though, is uh, we know this is a pro apparently. Um, so you've got to take your chances when you're in position in good hands against these people because otherwise. You know you're going to be playing out of position against them a lot, and and getting outplayed. So, when I'm in position against a good player and I have a good hand, I like to to raise because they're probably going to give me credit for they're they're going to give me credit for a better hand. Now in this case it's shorthanded, so they may not um, just because it's you know you could have anything that's half value and want to raise with it. So. I don't know, but I I would like to re-raise here. I know Ace Queen's not a monster, but it's still a it's still a really good hand four-handed with somebody who's going to try to run over the table and just steal the blinds or steal from the dead stack. So I don't know. I'd pop it up. I'd make it like seven eight hundred. So yeah, so a couple of thoughts here. I mean, uh, you you cover most of them. One, we're four-handed, so Ace Queen becomes <clears throat> pretty much a monster at yeah, this point right. um, in position, which makes it even better. Um, the I mean, the best position or on the button. Um, uh, but sometimes I think you've got to play the uh, the uh, the overall situation too, and I'm sure I'll get some heat from our listeners for saying this. But um, here we are; we've never played a tournament over three hundred dollars in our life, right? Um, uh, we're at the World Series of Poker, and it grants a fifteen hundred dollar event, but that's still a big deal. Um, you and I have only played one of these, right? So um, big deal, and uh, so there's a lot going on already in that uh it's early on uh in the tournament uh plus you got there by winning this yearly points league so you put a lot of work in just to get here right Mm -hmm. um and now you're up against a pro uh who clearly can uh, outplay you right so i think there's some other considerations that we need to make at this point too so uh Absent of all that, this is an easy raise. You got to raise here, I think. Um, considering all that, though, I, I can make a case for calling and being cautious early on and not getting outplayed early on in this tournament. Um, and our ace queen has the potential to flop big and do other things where we can feel a little better later on in the hand. So, uh, I, so I could defend either one. I, I think proper poker would be to raise here. Um, in the situation, though, um, I think I would call. So. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there, I, it's not that it's a mistake to call. It's a mistake to fold. Um, oh, but, yeah, you know, Yeah, but I, I think that this person doesn't know you. They don't know how good you are either. So it's not like they're, you know, I mean, we're, we're using our own insecurities here to justify our moves or not, and, and that's something that we should never give away. So right. to me, you know what, we're playing forehand that I'm on the button, and I'm, I'm confident I... I won this league or whatever. I proved that I was better than everybody else in my little league or whatever. And you know what? You, you got to play the game that got you there. If the game that got you there is to be aggressive on the button when you have a quality hand like this, then play that game and see how you square up against these yeah, people too. So, you know, let's do it. Let's raise. Okay. Our hero calls. So he's right. Oh. You're wrong. Oh. 
<laughs> uh, the flop is Ace King Trey with two spades, and our opponent bets three seventy five. Uh, okay, so I don't mind calling. The reason being is that I know that it's kind of naked, uh, kind of a wet board, um, but um, I, I just feel like we could be trying to tell a story here that we're floating and we don't really have anything and then we're hoping he checks again and then we bet and then the guy thinks we're stealing and then he calls we you know with a weaker hand so you know calling late as they say so i don't mind a call i feel like if we raise here we're pretty much playing face up um you know i'd be cautious if another spade dropped or another broadway but i feel like uh, yeah we have real control of this hand now um i feel like we're in the lead now uh, and I, I just don't, I don't know if I'm just so willing to automatically raise because we're protecting our hand, like we always say, or see who we are and all that crap. I feel like it's four-handed. Ace queen right now is a monster. Top pair, basically top kicker because otherwise you'd have two pairs. So you have top pair, top kicker. Really, this is this is a monster hand. It's early on. There's no reason to just try to get your whole stack in here. You want to enjoy this moment and you want to start to get chips without you know making a mistake so i realize you can protect against spades i realize you can protect against broadway but for this street i don't mind just calling yeah this i guess this is an extension of me winning the call on the flop against a a vastly superior player who's going to continue to to drive the action you know i think if you raise here again you, you're giving him information that that you have a piece of this um which for another player might encourage them to slow down right i think for a pro though it's like okay he actually has something here so now i'm gonna have to be more aggressive if i want to win this hand um and i don't know if i want that kind of heat right now so i think it's uh you know yeah you you take a chance by just calling here and allowing a spade to to fall or a broadway card to fall um but uh, these pots are small right now, so I, I would kind of like to not give this guy much information on how I play. I mean, we know him, but he doesn't know us yet. So, right. right. Can you uh, tell okay. me? Um, I'm sorry. What was the bet after the flop? Three, three seventy-five. Three seventy-five. Okay. All right. So our hero calls. He says he did contemplate a raise, but uh, was trying to control the pot. Turn is the ten of clubs. So our board now is Ace, King, Trey, Ten with two spades. Our opponent bets one thousand. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 possible Queen Jack is out there. Um, it, I I don't know. I, I wonder if he hit the. If, I think at this point now, if he's a pro, he's thinking, okay, if he had Queen Jack, he wouldn't bet again unless he was positive we had an ace and would call. He might think that we were trying to float and steal. So he might check to us and let us bet. Um, he might check to us just to think we'll try to steal. Or if we do have the ace, he knows now he, you'll be confident. And so he'll make it look like he's drawing the spade. So if he's got something really big, he would check here. The fact that he bet, you know, tells me that he's trying to protect against something. You know, I don't see any reason to bet here if you've got a stranglehold on it unless, you know, you're afraid of the spades. And I don't think he's – he could be afraid of the spades because we called. He might think yeah. we're drawing and that's why he's betting. So – um, I just don't know if Queen Jack bets here. So I think we could still be alive uh, and still be ahead here. Um, there's an argument to raise. Um, do you know how many chips we started with? 
No, I do not, unfortunately. Because that's the thing, too, is I, if I'm going to commit a bunch of my chips here, I mean, uh, what am I going to do if the guy shoves on me? Then I'm going to fold and waste. So I don't know how much I have. Um, the pro had 13K to start, so I have to think that we have maybe a little less than that since it was four-handed and, you know, we probably have, like, you know, uh, an amount that this guy has covered. So I don't know. I don't know if I like just calling. I mean, just calling could make it look like we're still drawing. And then on the river, the guy will value bet, and then we have top pair, top kicker. So uh, I feel like this is the, the moment where we need to say something, though. I, I don't know if a call's the right move. So I think I might raise here. You know, and also, too, we've now picked up a draw, too. I mean, we have, yes. Jack comes, that's not a spade, and we got the nuts. So um, I don't know. I, it's a tough situation for me. Um, I, think I'm, I think I'm inclined to to call and disguise it still. It's still looking like a draw. And if it just happened to hit the jack, then it was a draw. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to make it three grand now when I only started with like eight or ten. You know what I mean? That's that's a third of my stack on one street. And then what am I going to do on the river when this guy shoves? You know, we have one pair. So I'm inclined to call and try to use some pot control here. That's still my, my line here. You know, again, uh, let, let him keep betting into us, and hopefully he has nothing and just trying to push us off of it. Um, you know, if we raise here, I mean, I, I don't know. The problem is if, he's, if he has nothing and he's trying to push us off his hand, he's going to find a way to do it one way or the other, right? So if we raise it now, he's going to do it now. And if we don't do it, then, you know, we open ourselves up to a pretty big bet on the river, too, that we have to contemplate as well, too. Um. But but I think in in general it's the unforced errors that you try to avoid in poker when you're against these these better players. So if we raise here, we give him another opportunity to take a shot at us. Where if we just call here, he gets, he gets one more shot at yeah, us, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think I'm inclined to again be super passive here and call and and see if he either wants to concede this hand on the river or put us to a test at that point. But I'd rather not give him two attempts to push us off his hand when we can. Contain him to one attemptable pushes yeah. off. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, our hero calls as well too. Uh, the river is uh, the six of diamonds. So our final board is ace, king, tray, ten, six, and our opponent moves all in. Yeah, I knew this was coming. Uh, I, I, it's the thing of the the pressure of the whole moment. Uh, you spent your whole life getting ready for this moment. You, you won the league to call year. You really want to go out with one pair. That's the thing. Is I, I, I think it's super system, but one of the books that says, hey, you know, you really never want to go out on one pair. You never want to be eliminated on one pair. I, I don't think I don't know if it's super system because that would be that's a tournament line. So I don't know, but um, one pair is 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 tough to lose your tournament on. Now, if you were in a vacuum and you weren't weighing all that on your on you, you weren't going through all that and, and the pressure of it, making the nerves and everything and the wasted time and all that. If you're just in a vacuum, I call. Because I, I, I believe that this guy, the reason he would bet this amount when the pot was only like three grand, you know, you know, our two grand from the last street to three seventy five is, is six, seven, fifty. So that you know, and then the initial race. So I mean working like a three thousand chip pot and he's risking I mean, he's putting out ten grand, basically eleven grand here. So why? 
Why, why is he doing that? Is it because he doesn't want to lose this pot and he thinks he can run us over and that we're an amateur and he's a pro? If I was in a vacuum, I call. If, I, if I'm letting the nerves get to me and it's that important for me to enjoy this experience and stay at the table as long as possible, I really, really, really got to pick up on something to call. Um, yeah. Because I'm in a vacuum and it doesn't affect me and I'm just doing an analysis from my office, <laughs> I'm calling. Because I think this guy's just trying to push us off. I, what, he, he must be really sold that we have something and he doesn't want because he doesn't want to lose this pot to like some random like in other words he might have thought we were drawing with say like i don't know which spade it was so maybe we had to ace 10 of spades or the ace eight of spades or something and he thought we were top pair drawing he doesn't want or even something less than that you know like a jack 10 of spades or who knows maybe he doesn't want us to now have paired that 10 and win with a crappy pair when this guy's been bluffing us all along with king jack you know king jack or something you know or whatever it is i don't know what he has so in a vacuum i'm calling in my office i'm calling at the table i'm not sure i really want to get a feeling that this guy is just trying to push me around before i call cuz it just doesn't make sense why is he betting that much and it's not the whole oh we're going to reverse 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 and you know like online and you make you think I'm bluffing but I'm really not so I got you to lose your all your stack to me no in this case it doesn't seem if he's a pro generally pros like to be calculated in their shoves you know what I mean and maybe he had so many more chips than us that he thought he could survive a bluff like this because we only had like seven thousand or something he still has six thousand and can survive this table four handed so I'm going on record and calling. Uh, yeah, I think call is the way to go, but I think uh, you're right. If I'm at the table, I, I fold this. Because, um, again, it, it's that situation that you're in. Um, yeah, you, you you worked all year to get here, and then you want to go out early on four-handed before you actually even have players at the table to actually play. And, you know, I think you'd just be sick if he turns over Queen Jack here or Ace Trey or Ace Six or six tray you know some kind of garbage hand like that and and you um and you're eliminated um but take away all the other stuff i mean there there really is not much reason for this person to shove here if he has his beat and thinking that we're going to call this big bet right so it does seem like a a bet designed to get us to to fold a better hand so yeah what's what wouldn't he want value I mean, wouldn't yeah. he want value because he's going to trying to scare us? And what's the first rule of Caro is, you know, hey, um, they're they're trying to do something. They're the you know their their tell is the opposite. If they're showing the strength. That means they're weak because they're afraid. You know, in this case, why is this guy trying to get so scare us to fold? Or you know, I mean, he, he'd have to be totally set that we have a monster hand that he can still beat. You know, he'd have to have the straight. To, to, to have this and if he had the straight would he have played it this way I just don't know might have but he'd have to be convinced that we have like ace king or a set you know and then wouldn't we have played it differently if we had those hands so right. I just I have to call here um alright so our hero uh, says I tank I put him on ace king or better or he missed flush draw and decide to fold he mucks but later on, I find on his Twitter feed, and it reads as follows. So this is interesting. Oh, cool. Uh, the tweet from him, from the pro, is room for poker now. Min raise and barrel all the way with 10-9 on an ace-king tray, 10-6. He calls quick on turn, but luckily folds river when I put them all in for and 
put them all in, uh, and he's up to 11K now. Yeah, 10-9. And uh, so he says, so our hero says, interesting, as based on my current experience, I would have played his hand completely differently pre- and post-flop. Uh, as played, would you would you have uh, called or would you have played it differently? So, so again, yeah, we're we're ten years smarter now, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we're all going to play this a little bit differently now. But uh, at the time, I, I think exactly what happened. This pro sized uh, our hero up as a, a newbie who is here and nervous and excited to be here, and knew he could push us around and that we wouldn't call that river unless we had at least two pair and. And uh, we couldn't have two pair, I don't think, at that point, uh, with that six on the river, right? Uh, otherwise, we would have raised at some other point. So, you know, it's pretty ballsy, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, the guy sized this up. He looked at our stack versus his stack. He knew, and for him, if he's a pro, a $1,500 event to him is, eh, you know what I mean? I can get into the next one in a day and a half. Right. Um, <laughs> and the other thing, too, is now, we, you know, we're only like 45 minutes into the show. So let, let me just say, if we did change and go back to the beginning and played this differently, instead of being passive and calling with the ace queen preflop, you re raise him. He may even lay it down right there. If he doesn't, he calls your raise to whatever it was, 800, and then that flop comes. He's going to check to you. You barrel again. He folds. 10 9 is not calling there. Even if he. Even if he wants to try to be a hero and re raise you, you now have top, top. You took control of the hand. I think that you're not going to go anywhere. And then on the turn, he's going to check again because you didn't go anywhere. And then you take it down. Even even so, he may check, check, or he may try to bluff you on the river. But he's not going to shove on the river now that you've taken control of his hand. Yeah. you know. And you totally take this hand down. And who knows? You take the bracelet. Who knows? You know. But Well, yeah. I think the other lesson is these kind of hands happen a lot, I think. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, if you're a really good pro, this is, this is the aggressive and the pressure you put on folks knowing that folks are, are going to lay stuff down. So the problem is, though, that uh, you can't assume that they never have anything, right? So it's that one time you decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to make this hero call that they turn over Queen Jack here um, yeah. rather than 10-9. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's the genius in, in the style of play. So Yeah, they sow those seeds of doubt into your head by their aggressive moves, and now you, because a game of incomplete information... You were put to the test, and that's what they like to do. They like to put you to the test uh, at all costs, at almost all the time. And you know, in this case, like we said, in a vacuum, you take all the other crap away from it, remove emotion from it, and you'd see that yeah, it made sense to call there. But you know what? You still went to the World Series. You still earned your way there, and you had a good time. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. AntiUp is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.